off the ball. That was serious. He was furious. He wanted his net. Just won the World Cup and you won't let me clip a little panel of net. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app. Off the ball daily. Now then, you're welcome along. So Sunday's off the ball coming at you. Joe Malloy here. This day week, the World Cup starts. Slightly uh, surreal thought. We have two Premier League games coming your way though. Manchester United will bring the curtain down on the first half of the season away to Fulham. Half past four kickoff. First up today, Brighton doing pretty well. All told, post Graham Potter, they host Aston Villa and Unai Emery. Uh, Vinnie Perth alongside Nathan Murphy this hour for that game. We will also have Graham Gartland at the Aviva Stadium for the FAI Cup final. Damien Duff and Shelburne hoping to upset the odds against Derry. Three o'clock kickoff at the Aviva Stadium. 53106 is the text number. You will get us at Off the Ball on Twitter. The Sunday paper review has been recorded. Conor McKeown and Sinead O'Carroll in studio available to you now on our social channels and will be up on podcast very shortly. Arthur O'Dea, good afternoon. Afternoon, Joe. And Aidan Delaney, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Joe. So, plenty going on. World Cup starts this day next week. It is a surreal thought. I had to check that. Looking at the Sunday papers, really, I mean, very few of the feel-good, here's a preview of Group A, here's Group B broken down, here's who's going to win it type pieces. Far more of the Nobody feels very good about this whole expedition pieces today in the papers. I'm sure when the football starts and things uh, gather pace, the football will take over. But in terms of preview and build up, there's a very odd, grim atmosphere about the whole thing. Yeah, I suppose there's not really been. You'd think maybe on one hand it is a sort of a a moral knock on effect or whatever. But I, I presume to some degree as well, it's just time. Mm-hmm. It's like everyone's been doing, I suppose, their normal job yeah. up until now, and it's kind of where are you supposed to fit it in. It's just I, I saw one I think in the Guardian maybe there was a kind of a a pretty basic breakdown of where yeah. different teams were. But the Guardian ones are generally my go-to before World Cup, and like that they were almost apologetic. Like, oh yeah, we have to talk <laughs> a bit about football now, which which just felt a bit strange. And like you say, I think the time element is is something that you know we all have to switch our brains into. Oh, there's no Premier League next weekend. Why is that? Oh yeah, there's a actually World Cup on. Yeah, we were chatting on the pay per view about David Clifford yesterday for Fossa. And there is something mythical about him whereby uh, this isn't on national television. It was streamed, the game, but I don't know if many people would have streamed it. And it's Sean McGoldrick in the Sunday Independent and Clifford scored 2-12 yesterday for Fossa as they uh, won at Fitzgerald Stadium in the Kerry Championship. And the game went to extra time against Lestree and Fossa scored 2-3 in extra time a.k.a. David Clifford scored 2-3 in extra time. And we were making the point that watching David Clifford is one of the great uncomplicated joys in uh, sport, whereas Qatar and this World Cup is the definition of a complicated viewing experience. Like at all times, you'll be aware thousands died making this stadium. This whole thing is uh, corrupt to its core, but it will be the World Cup. And at a certain point, the World Cup does take over. So he's ignited your love for club. You'll be driving down next whenever they're playing next, no? Well, it's funny on the, you know, the club championship. It hasn't, I don't think, grabbed a national audience, the games week in, week out. However, Clifford is on a different level. He is, yeah. He just elevates all around him. Yeah. Because it is funny. And I saw Connor was talking about it on the pay-per-view and different people. I, I wouldn't, I'd be lying to you if I knew, if I said I knew what the standard of junior football in Kerry was. He seemed to be suggesting it was higher than the title might suggest. Yes. 
and it's but it is funny when you're watching him and there was a goal doing the rounds obviously it must have been an extra time if we scored 2-3 but yeah. it's um, it's just amazing how he just tears past people and it makes things just look so ordinary this is 30th game since he played his first of the year for Kerry in the McGrath Cup and in his 30 games he has scored 20 goals and 155 points wow not bad it's not like yeah. I yeah like I won't yeah it's, it's very hard because there's no I have no relative uh, alternative to that. Can I pitch you a radio piece that we do this week or in general? It's just occurred to me. Okay, go on. So they played Lestree yesterday. Uh, can we get two or three of David Clifford's markers from the Kerry County oh, yeah. Championship on the radio together to talk about? what it's like marking Clifford or the player that has to do it in the Munster Championship coming up where he'll have never faced anybody like that well realistically that player is not going to come on the radio <laughs> to talk about it but we might get the three who played Maybe. against him if we can dig it out I'm not sure what if, it's, if the impact obviously isn't the same because we're not I suppose it hasn't become a thing but I'm pretty sure Gareth Hegarty also plays Junior Hurling in Limerick yeah I mean that they, but that's alright we'll dig that I mean you've given that away anyone <laughs> list, well, you I might find that elsewhere no before no one would dare rip that off no now. no uh, if we can get the player who's about to mark him, by all means, you can get that guy <laughs> to come on the radio and, and say what he's going to do to Clifford. <laughs> I'm going to stick it to him. <laughs> be great. Then by all means. So we will uh, press on. You're starting with events at the Aviva Stadium. Duffer. Yeah, we'll start with soccer today. Uh, former Republic of Ireland international Damien Duff looking to win his first piece of silverware as a manager this afternoon. He leads his Shelburne side into the Extra.ie FAI Cup final against Derry City at the Aviva Stadium. The Candy Stripes will go into the game as favourites though. They having finished runners-up to Shamrock Rovers in the Premier Division this season. Shells were in seventh. And kickoff there is of course at three o'clock. Uh, like I said, Gren Garland at the game for us, so we'll have updates and analysis throughout the afternoon. Damien Duff, in quite a few of the Sunday papers, he was talking to the media at large during the weekend. The theme of his chat with the Sunday paper seems to have been that he's been a very angry manager. He's been angry on the touchline. He's been angry with people in the league. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't name names. He's just uh, had that demeanour and he says about two months ago he decided to stop living and managing that way because it was consuming his life a bit much and so he's uh, tried to calm down and enjoy it a touch more instead of working off the fumes of adrenaline and, and anger so that was quite an interesting insight he always has something to say it's very early in his career to be noticing that or rectifying it or uh, addressing it I suppose it's not like this is, I suppose it's his first senior it's his first job his managerial job yeah mm. and to be the season not even through and you notice that there's something already in you that's going to yeah. I suppose he, he, harm him if he keeps going that way that he's and he was saying people who he's known for a long time would see him on TV and then get in touch and say okay he mm. seemed very angry and maybe that opened that his eyes to it oh just the stresses of it the stresses with Dover he's just like he's a, he's a he's such a winner he cares so much this is the guy who was bringing sandwiches and protein bars to his under 16 Shamrock Rovers team at yeah. 5 and 6 a.m. in the morning. Whatever he does, I suspect he does wholeheartedly. And so when you put your life and soul into a week and then you don't win and maybe it's a bad refereeing decision or uh, a frustrating mistake, then someone like that is going to be angry. And do you think, it, I'd be surprised it wouldn't mellow at all. What would all is it? I suppose technically we're talking about he has, but in terms of the amount of experience he has going into this, he knows how football works. He know. knows. It's funny though. He did say this is the biggest game of his career. That's something I yeah, I, and I think I saw that he said it after the semi-final win as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
when you are a manager, it's, a, I know it's, it's different. A, a less selfish pursuit. And it is on him. Yeah. And he's more singular than he would have been in, say, the leagues he won or whatever. But yeah. an interesting way of looking at it. I mean, it's, it's deeply personal in one regard. I mean, yeah. as, I suppose, seeing yourself as an individual rather than maybe the collective for what was objectively, obviously, a far bigger achievement at Chelsea. But I don't know. Like, fair play. That's... I, I, it'll be fascinating in years to come to see what he was like to work under. Mm. Uh, by all accounts, very popular. I'd say so. Yeah. Like, if he's buying in this much and he's taking you this seriously and he's... But I suspect none of that's for effect. I don't think he's saying that for the player's benefit. No, I wouldn't think so. It's a three o'clock kickoff at the Aviva Stadium. Uh, somewhere in the twenty-five to 30,000 type crowd expected talking to Dan during the week. So, like I said, Graeme Gartland at the game for us updates and analysis across the afternoon. Eric Ten Hag's been talking ahead of kickoff today. Yeah, he says the mood is changing at Manchester United. He took over at Old Trafford in the summer following their worst ever Premier League season. United play Fulham in the final top flight game before the World Cup later and know that they'll be in fifth going into the six-week break. And Ten Hag says there has been progress so far this season. Yeah, you want to win every game, clear. And I know before you you don't win every game, huh? but I think the approach has to be, and that is also what I demand from my squad. And therefore, you have to to live along the highest standards every day. Eh? That uh, creates a culture, eh? a winning culture. And we are in the process, and we are progressing, but we are not there where we want to be. We uh, still we have to focus on process, progress in the process, and go from game to game, eh? and that demands every day good work, eh? the best work. And when we do it, we have to get into a position when it's April, and eh, we can win, and that is what we are aiming for. So kick-off at Craven Cottage is at half-past four today. Before that, as you mentioned, Aston Villa clashing with high-flying Brighton at two o'clock. There's one game in the Championship today. Both Burnley and Blackburn want to make sure that they go into the World Cup break at the top of the Championship. A win for either side in the Lancashire Derby would take them to the summit. Uh, that game started at half-past twelve, so there's about 41 minutes gone there, and it's scoreless so far. Burnley nil, Blackburn nil. In Gaelic Games then, Monaghan's Bally Bay will be without their co-manager Jerome Johnston for this afternoon's Ulster football clash with reigning All-Ireland champions Kilcoo. Johnston stepped away from the clash as he's a Kilcoo native and has a number of family members on the downsides panel. Their quarter-final meeting gets underway at Clonus in about 15 minutes' time. Meanwhile, Nave Connell of Donegal travel to Corrigan Park. They take on the Antrim champs Cargan at the same time. Celtic Park then is the venue for the last eight encounter of Derry's Glen and Errigal Kieran of Tyrone. That's at half past three this afternoon. That uh, Jerome Johnson story is very interesting. I mean, when we say family members, it's his sons. So it's not like it's his first cousin twice removed. No. And he said that he had flagged this in advance. He spoke to the Belfast Telegraph during the week. He said, before I even met with Bally Bay, it was made clear I couldn't ever coach against Kilku. And so they knew this was going to be the case in advance. Tough thing to coach against your sons. Andy Farrell doesn't have that luxury. No, but I suppose it is when it's professional sport. I suppose it's yeah, it's a bit more controlled. different realm. Yeah. It's interesting though because it, it it kind of ties in with the same sort of approach that isn't it? Isn't Cody that he spoke about this before or at some point? Did he allude to it? The fact he'd never coach anywhere outside James Stevens like that. Yeah. Just he wouldn't. He wouldn't do that. And it was it Shefflin was doing it. 
and these weren't tied in. He obviously wasn't saying in relation to that, but I just it, maybe sure? it came up in that <laughs> maybe it came up in that whole thing because I think the Sheffield got a Thomas down or something. I know it's different grades. I, I, anyway, the exact details, but it's not something. I mean, I don't know. Would, did you, I, were, I don't, could you? Would you be happy playing against your father? <laughs> like, <laughs> fancy my chances at this stage. Uh, he said, uh, "I informed the players after the Cross McGlen game. It was emotional, and I'm torn. I just couldn't manage against my own children." There you go. It's an interesting. I suppose one. it's fair. He has. He would have sort of insights that no one else would have. And if you're not going to go 100, percent there's probably no point going at all. Yeah. Wonder. Can, wonder who he hopes wins. Uh, it's a good question. Yeah. It's funny. I don't. You. You were talking about it. I know you didn't see the FIFA doc. You haven't seen it on Netflix yet. No. I'm not that interested. I. Either was I, and I feel that the David Kahn's book kind of fills in all the blanks, but he features in it a lot. But there's a lot of great stuff in it in terms of the visuals. But there's just one point that uh, with Jack Warner, who had been the president of CONCACAF for so long and was central in all this. And, yeah. and he's the one guy who comes across really badly. Yeah. He's just uh, like the worst. Yeah. But there's a point, I think, when all the arrests were being made and he couldn't be arrested, I think, because he was an elected official in Trinidad or whatever. So it would have been a diplomatic nightmare, whatever it was. But he was with his two sons. Mm. and his two yeah. sons could be arrested and the guys whatever it was from it was an FBI whoever came to arrest them were like this is your chance now to save your two sons from whatever that's going to happen Jack he's like uh, good luck <laughs> see you later <laughs> it's just the polar opposite I suppose but he's just so ruthless he's just like yeah no problem take them it's fine yeah well he came up recently when Andrew Jennings passed away Andrew Jennings mm. did a huge amount of reporting on everything that was wrong with FIFA. And so it was put to Jack Warner that Andrew Jennings has just died. This would have been back in January of this year. And his first response was, I shed no tear for him. And I maintain he should have died a long time ago. Is the FIFA documentary just about the fact that the World Cup was bought or does it go beyond that? It goes it goes, it goes right back that. to the start of Bladders. Yeah, and Havilland and stuff. And mm. it kind okay. of, it, it's the full story. It's it, like, it's very well told. And the, I just sort of feel like I know it all. So you, I don't yeah, you do, want you, to watch you it. You do. It's not going to be very revelatory for yeah. you. You do know it and you do. Yeah, I wouldn't call it essential, but it's interesting. Because I'm watching The Crown. I only have right. so many hours in the day. <laughs> I didn't realise you watched The Crown. Oh, yeah, good? Yeah, yeah. What season's it on now? Where are we in, time, in chronologically? We're into late 80s, 90s. Okay. Anis Cerebilis and all that. Okay. <laughs> the casting's all wrong, though. Really? Yeah. For whom? Prince Charles. Who's playing him? Is it? It's not oh. Dominic West, is it? Yes, it's Dominic West. Okay. It's too good looking. Yeah. He's too much of an alpha. It just doesn't work. Because I don't know. Like, um, my partner watched it or did watch it. He can't. He can't say mummy in a whiny voice convincingly <laughs> enough. <laughs> It just doesn't ring true. It's like, there's no way. And then, of course, John Major is played by Johnny Miller. Oh, Johnny yes, Miller. yes, yes. That, that looked weird. Yeah. OK. Yeah. Didn't look terrible, but it's still Johnny Miller. <laughs> people, people are torn by the fact that he's just so damn handsome and he's yeah, playing yeah. John Major, you know. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. But that's so you're going to come right up now. I wonder if you'll be close enough into Blair. I suppose yeah, by 97, creep, you're probably still a few years up. away. I don't know how far it goes. Because Blair's going to be so that Diana like that's going to be the do big. You get, do you get Michael Sheen in to <laughs> <laughs> one more for the road? <laughs> uh, there's a I saw a tweet that um, there's something odd in the fact that Johnny Liam Miller is playing John Major in this year, and obviously in Train Spotting he played 
your man in that exact same Sick year. Boy, yeah. Some full circle tweet. It was put more cleverly than I've just put it there. <laughs> That's you, good though. You'll take it, but uh, yeah. So look, FIFA right after. <laughs> you see, I like the limited things. I like. I can't commit to that length of the crown. It's too long. It's like how many episodes are you doing? Oh no, it's ten. It's uh, eight or nine or ten. Yeah, five series. At about an hour a pop. About an hour a pop. Yeah. Jeez. Not really one to binge. I would say. One to do you. At a time. And do you find it like because it's you? We all... have to move off this now. Okay. Come <laughs> <laughs> on. Just curious <laughs> how true to life it's kept. Oh, not very. Okay. So but also just... enough to make it the work around the libel. I don't know. Saw a story there yesterday that there was certainly a threat of legal action or some talk. I think so. If Prince Philip was going to, t- Prince before Philip, he passed yeah. away, there was something about his sister in but season three. Yeah, I don't know. that he um, had somehow been the cause of his sister's oh, death or something, yeah, yeah. considering legal action. So I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Is there some disclaimer that this is fiction? I don't know. <laughs> we spent more time than I'd planned to talk no, about it's okay. this anyway. I can bring this back to Gaelic Games. Yeah, yeah. The FIFA, the FIFA documentary, back to Gaelic Games. Yeah. Yeah. So Fern St. Aidan's take their first steps into the Leinster Senior Hurling Championship this afternoon. The first time county champions in Wexford will come up against St. Mullins of Carlow in their quarterfinal in the province at two o'clock. Before that, the Kilkenny Kingpins, Ballyhell Shamrocks face Westmeads at Castletown Gagan at half past one. The winners of that game will face Nace in the semi-finals. There's also a repeat of last year's semi-final as a clock Balacala of Leash take on Dublin's Kilmacook croaks at half past two. In rugby then, Ireland head coach Andy Farrell says performances will have to improve if his side are to go three from three in this year's Awesome Nation series. The home side laboured to a 35-17 victory at the Aviva Stadium over a Fiji side that played the majority of the game without their full complement of players yesterday. Ireland will now turn their attentions to Australia, who visit Dublin next weekend, and Farrell says he was disappointed with yesterday's showing from some of the players. When people get a chance, they're always going to judge performances, you know, but uh, the balance of, of judging people... It's, it's difficult enough when the, the continuity is not there as a team, you know, and uh, the game just never got going for certain people and, and certain people he did and Nick was able to get on get on the end of a couple of tries there and fair play to him uh, for that. But um, yeah, I just thought the game was stop start and he never really got going, um, you know, uh, you have plans in your head of when people should come off for next week, etc. But uh, I don't think that really came into in, into uh, into focus for us because the game was so slow and stop start. And I think um, all credit to Fiji for for hanging on in there. But we um, we we contributed to a, a performance in uh, a lack of performance in that way because of yes, you know, uh, penalties from them in regards to. Mall and yellow cards, etc. But then we back it up with an offside, you know, uh, a couple in a row and um, being in front of the kicker, etc. So we're disappointed. We're disappointed with with the outcome of the game. You know, the the, the win is 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 always special in, in, in Irish shirt. But the, the the manner of the win is something that we'll um, we'll assess and, and make sure that we get to the bottom of. Yeah, he was thoroughly fed up, Andy Farrell. Even his TV interview immediately at full time was stronger than that. And maybe he'd calmed down a bit by the press conference. He just thought it wasn't good enough. He was very unhappy with it. 
I don't know. I think it's all very understandable. It's a one o'clock kickoff. There's no atmosphere. You know you're going to win more than likely. It's not a team that's ever played together before. It's always going to be a bit meh. It was just a bit flat. And there is something about rugby games in that the red card will affect both sides, really. They kind of take the foot off the gas, both sides, really, which is something that you've kind of noticed in, in rugby over the last few years. And, and that makes it feel like a, a less of a game. And then the Fijians go down to 13 at points as well. And it just, it all felt like the training game that Vern Cotter said it would be during the week. Uh, speaking of Vern Cotter, so there's a extraordinary picture we talked about on the pay-per-view in the Sunday Times above Neil Francis' article of Joey Carberry at the moment of impact and mm-hmm. his head's rocked back and there's saliva coming out of his mouth akin to a boxer who's just been punched and you get just a freeze frame of the ferocity of the hit. And afterwards, Vern Cotter, who's a very experienced coach, seemed to perplex everybody, frankly, by saying, was there foul play? What's the question? Is there a head? I don't know. There is a head. Joey Carberry said it's fairly obvious there's a head nobody could make sense of why Vern Cotter was questioning that red card but he did and I would say the majority of the focus today in the papers uh, quickly gets over the fact that Ireland were a bit flat and and isn't overly worried about that but the majority of the pieces actually are writing about Vern Cotter and uh, I suppose the need to stamp these tackles out of the game the brilliant game yesterday was in Marseille France Mm -hmm. South Africa that was an extraordinary occasion atmosphere France won in the end 30 points to 26 there was a last minute try or last couple of minutes try uh, for uh, France which got the job done uh, two red cards in that game Peter Steph de Toy drove his head into another French player's head so that was a red card yeah. again similar theme and then Anton Dupont was sent off in the second half he um, tackled Colby in the air and he landed on his neck so I mean these are just one of those head yeah, coaches talking out afterwards. No, they, ex- well. they conceded they were red cards. These are the travails of the game. Well, Razzie has been on Twitter, as <laughs> he morning. normally does, um, talking about long passes and uh, forward passes and that kind of thing today as well. So uh, he's obviously taking it well. I was in refereeing decisions. Yeah, there's more clips of uh, a French pass that wasn't called forward, a South African one that was. Uh, typical Razzie stuff. Crazy. It's, it's so odd. It's mm. such a small thing to be doing. A forward I'm, pass, like. But it's so small time. Mm. It's like, unless, cause you've, I know you've been talking about this in the week as well, like, what what's your end goal? You're trying to set the people who will rapidly follow you after these officials. I would think so. There's nothing, there's nothing else you're doing. You're not, you're not getting anything back. You know, the game's it's gone, it's finished. Yeah. I suppose a strong referee like Wayne Barnes last night is not going to be bothered by Razzie no. Rasmus or Twitter mm-hmm. and he was, I would say, very quick in sending off Steph to Toy. Didn't, need to look at a gazillion replays was pretty clear no mitigation gone red card done so it's not going to rattle Wayne Barnes but I would think whoever's refereeing South Africa in future now World Rugby will have to make damn sure that they're a strong referee because this these kind of antics will play in the mind of a less experienced referee I think and I and that's, that's Razzie's logic yeah and when you're coming to a World Cup particularly where you're going to have presumably is it I suppose eight games if you win it or sorry maybe seven seven games probably if you were to win it because of the final yeah you're bound at some point to have a weaker referee or someone less experienced you know you're not going to have that yeah I would think so like the referee last week in Dublin and it was his sixth yeah. test match and the biggest game of his career it's incredibly poor form yes yeah, it's just incredibly small minded forward pass yeah I, like, <laughs> It's not uh, defining. Uh, meanwhile, Padraig Harrington 
He is trying against the odds to win the finale to the Champions Tour to be uh, to win the, almost the, the order of merit equivalent on the Champions Tour. He's up against it, though. Yeah, Patrick Harrington, he does have a five-shot lead ahead of the final round of the Charles Schwab Cup Championship this evening. The Dubliner fired a superb round of 62 yesterday to fly out in front in Arizona. He leads New Zealand's Stephen Alker in second, while Darren Clark is back in a tie for 21st on four under. As you mentioned, a win in the season-ending tournament today would be Harrington's fourth on the Champions Tour this year. The three-time major winner will return to the course at half seven this evening. So it's essentially a straight shootout to see who will be crowned the Cup champion. Uh, For Harrington, to take the title he needs to win today and hope that Alker ends up no higher than fifth by the end of the day he's currently in second and we can hear now from Harrington he isn't expecting anything less from the Kiwi this evening he's playing very well you know I played with him every week in the playoffs at this stage and uh, you know he's not backing down He's he won one of the playoffs. He he's finishing the season really strong. You know he's not limping home in any shape or form. Uh, you know he started great, but he's he's finishing very strong. So you know he, you couldn't begrudge him where he is at the moment. You couldn't begrudge him winning this outright. But uh, you know I'll try and scupper that as best I can. Alker, for his part, then admits that it is advantage Harrington ahead of the final round. Yeah. Well, Padraig kicked my ass today. That's basically what happened. Uh, yeah, he had a nice run, got it just kind of pulled away on the back nine. So I was just trying to make, you know, make a few birdies coming in. Um, I didn't really give myself as many chances the last couple of days. So that was, um, yeah, that front nine. I just, you know, you want to get a few birdies early. So it didn't quite happen. But um, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's there to take. Um, yeah, I got a lot of chasing to do now uh, to win the tournament. But um, yeah, just try and get a night, good night's sleep. Yeah, so we'll move on to the ladies' golf then, and Leona Maguire and Stephanie Meadow will start today's final round of the Pelican Women's Championship five shots off the lead. The Irish pair are tied for 13th on five under par after yesterday's second round. That uh, that tournament has been reduced to 54 holes after missing the action on Thursday. Meadow will head out on course for her final round at around 10 to 4 Irish time, while Maguire tees off about 20 minutes later. It's the American Alison Corpus who leads there by one in Florida on 10 under par. In racing then, Florin Porter continues his bid for a Stairs Hurdle hat-trick by running in the Grade 2 Lismullen Hurdle at Navin this afternoon. Gavin Cromwell's seven-year-old fell when the favourite when he was the favourite in the same race last year. The Grade 2 Forsha Chase and the Grade 3 Gibneys for Auctions Novice Hurdle are also part of the eight race card which is underway. And some big news then this morning. Uh, England have won the T20 World Cup in cricket. Pakistan set them a target of 138 runs in Melbourne. And despite a very nervy start to their reply, Ben Stokes and Moeen Ali steered Joss Butler's side to victory. That win makes England the first men's team to hold the 50 and 20 over world titles. Very good. Aidan, thanks for that. Who is performing the opening ceremony, does anyone know, at the World Cup next week? Well, and have I got news for you that time? Yeah. Richard Madeley kept referring to Robbie, Robbie Williams. Williams and the Black, Black Eyed Peas. Yeah. Robbie Williams did the World Cup in 2018, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I just asked because Miguel Delaney popped up in my Twitter feed here of the London Independent and he was noting uh, Julipa has released a statement and she's saying there's currently lots of speculation that I'll be performing at the opening ceremony of the World Cup in Qatar. I will not be performing nor have I ever been involved in any negotiation to perform. I'll be cheering England on from afar and I look forward to visiting Qatar when it's fulfilled all the human rights pledges it made when it won the right to host the World Cup. Now that will up the pressure on Robbie Williams if it is Robbie. 
Yeah, I don't. I don't. Um, I'm not sure if this will mean anything to you, but BTS's Jungkook yeah. is to perform. <laughs> I'm not sure who he is, but it's a Korean uh, K-pop star. Okay, so fair yeah. enough. If that's your thing, <laughs> we will uh, wrap up the news rant 